0: hello 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 all you crazy cinema snorkelites and welcome to the podcast where we dive below the surface of the themes and the ideas in movies it's cinema snorkel and we're your hosts casey leander
1: and carlin leander that's me <laughs> I,
0: did, I did we didn't practice like am i gonna hand off Yeah, to no. You? Th-
1: what you did worked
0: <laughs> okay all right Hey, welcome. Carlin, welcome Thanks. to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Good to be here. It's going to be a good one.
0: Boy, you know it is, because what are we talking about today?
1: Well, if you know that you clicked on the link to this podcast, it's in the title. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark.
0: Get it up! Good evening, Fraulein. The bar is closed we are we are not thirsty
1: not the man i knew ten years ago it's not the years it's the mileage
0: the ark if it is there at tannis then it is something that man was not meant to disturb
1: snakes why did it have to be snakes so once again jones What was briefly yours is now mine. Be ready for me. I'm going after that truck. Oh. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. It's so good.
0: I mean... I feel, Carlin, as though we ourselves are approaching, you know, in the very opening scene where he's in that like Peruvian temple and he approaches the idol, Uh you know, I feel as though we ourselves are approaching the idol of Of cinema. cinema.
1: Yeah. And, And really, we dodged all the booby traps to get here, like the booby traps of all the other movies that we've ever reviewed, you know, like we stepped on the right squares. We stayed out of the shafts of light. We got there. Totally. We measured our bag of sand, and hopefully, it will go better for us.
0: <laughs> now, just Carlin, give me the files to the episode, and I'll throw you the whip.
1: Uh, no, that I don't trust you.
0: Well, why not? You've you've been given no reason to not trust me. I've been totally trustworthy up to this point.
1: Well, okay. Give me the whip.
0: Adios, senor. I mean, I feel like. What can we say about this movie that hasn't been said for the last 40 years? Oh,
1: man. Well, we can bring our own cinema snorkel approach to it. I mean, we are not... uh we probably don't know all the trivia and all the background of right. everything, but what we want to do is apply our special question, our secret sauce right. question, secret sauce. Um, to this movie and just see what we come up with. And our secret sauce question, if you forgot already, or if this is your first time tuning in, is what are the filmmakers trying to say? In this case, Steven Spielberg and good old George Lucas. I mean, it's not original to say, but I just don't think they make movies like this anymore.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was listening to another podcast that I really respect. Um, It's called The Rewatchables. Oh. And they were talking about how this movie uh, was in theaters for 13 months. Whoa. 13 months in 1981. Is that a record? Uh, No, actually, movies were just in theaters longer.
1: Oh. So they stay, movies stay in theaters as long as the box office numbers are performing, right?
0: Right. But in the 80s, they just weren't making as many movies. And so movies really did tend to just camp out there and not go anywhere for a long, long time.
1: Oh, man. I wish it was still in theaters. I'd go see it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like. It's just gold. Like, absolute instant cinematic gold. Carlin, what do you like?
1: There was a lot in this movie that I totally forgot about. Like, it lives in my imagination, rent-free, but I had forgotten... So many of the moments. And honestly, the thing that stuck out to me the most is just how perfect the comedic timing is for every Mm. single gag. And there's a gag Mm. like probably every five seconds on screen, but Mm. they all play off so smoothly and so like suavely. Um, I know there is a little bit of a cheesiness factor, but really it's just like masterful. I I don't know if you've ever think of comedy... As kind of a science, but um, studying theater, we would talk about that in class often about how to create like the the perfect comedic moments. A lot of it is timing. A lot of it is like doing things in threes, and you know that kind of stuff. But this movie just it's flawless in terms of their execution. Yeah, what did you like, Casey?
0: You know, I what you said about cheesiness. To the extent we sense cheesiness in this film. I honestly have to say it's because every movie since this film has ripped off of it. And we think things are tropey, but it's because Raiders of the Lost Ark invented them. Yeah. Even the nonstop action pacing of Mm -hmm. this movie. I heard someone say that you're never more than 10 minutes away from a major event or cliffhanger. And that really created something like a pace to movies that everything after it tried to capture. You know, it's like every adventure uh-huh. movie ever has just taken something from Raiders of the Lost Ark because it laid the groundwork. So,
1: Do you know that moment at the beginning when Indy's running over the hill and his pilot, he's like, start yeah, the yeah, plane, yeah.
0: start the plane.
1: And all the natives come chasing down behind him on the hill. Literally shot for shot, that scene is in Pirates of the Caribbean 2 when Jack is running from the natives and he comes running down the hill and they're like...
0: Was that intentional in Pirates?
1: I have to think it was. It looks exactly the same. It's the same moment. And I'm sure it's paying homage. Um, Homage? Homage or homage?
0: No, homage. I think you nailed it. Okay, I'll say
1: homage to the...
0: (laughs) No, no. No, no. no. Mm -mm. All these lines, like... Even when the guy comes in, he's like, Good evening, Fraulein. And he, like, hands his torture. He's like, Is he going to torture them? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I forgot about that scene
1: and it slapped brand new this time. Like, I was not expecting it. And my roommate was like, What? is that <laughs> <laughs> what is
0: going on classic when he <laughs> shoots the guy with his sword and like yeah. our listeners are probably going to know the trivia there that harrison ford had dysentery that day a lot of the cast had dysentery and so oh. they had practiced this elaborate sword routine and harrison ford just was like eh, what if i just shot him and it worked so well for the pacing of the movie <laughs> that they kept fist. it and obviously created this massive iconic moment
1: uh, I don't think we probably need to do a summary, but but I would like to put this movie into just a nutshell just to kind of help steer our yeah. ship a little bit. And I'm going to just not ask you to do that.
0: We got to play to our strengths on this podcast. Uh, and summaries, <laughs> I'll just own it. <laughs> They're right. not my strength. We're a team for a reason. So, Carlin, what, what's a basic summary of, of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Or is it just Indiana sure. Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's not and the.
1: I think it's, yeah, I think it's colon Raiders of the Lost it Ark. It actually
0: might just be called... Raiders of the Lost Ark, not even Indiana Jones.
1: Oh, we better know.
0: I actually, I'm on on Rotten Tomatoes in that they call it just Raiders of the Lost Ark. Again, this is why it feels like the idol in the temple with all the booby traps, because there are dozens of people right now cringing out of their seats they're ripping their headphones out of their ears we're so throwing them off the at the ground because they know everything about everything about this movie yeah and we're just a couple of noobs who care about the themes
1: (laughs) hey stick with us if only to prove us wrong at the end yeah we'd be okay for that
0: with this movie in particular i welcome it yeah All that to say, Carlin, give us a summary. Go.
1: Indiana Jones is an archaeologist slash treasure hunter, and the film opens while he's already in the middle of this excursion where he's gotten this idol, and that's where we meet his main arch nemesis who's this French guy who wears a white suit. And he says this iconic line, you see again, Dr. Jones, there's nothing you can possess which I cannot take.
0: Darn you, Balak. Darn you. So
1: dastardly. Then we cut to Jones teaching in his university And the Nazis are trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. Jones has to go get it before the Nazis do. So he chases it around. There's all sorts of MacGuffins that keep them running around the globe. He has to team up with his old flame, Marion, who's this like hard drinking, very capable, tiny little woman. But she hates him because they're parted poorly last time. But now they're on a team. And they get the Ark of the Covenant. And just when you think that they've lost, they open the Ark and the glory of God shines out and destroys the Nazis. Mm-hmm. But because Indiana Jones and Marion close their eyes, because they went to Sunday school and they know not to look, they survive and they're able to restore the Ark to the museum, which is its rightful place.
0: Nope. The army takes it away and puts it in right, storage. Right, right.
1: The army takes oh!
0: good at summaries now
1: Touché. you did finish my who's summary. good at summaries that now this. you can finish all the other summaries but you can't give the book of them anymore
0: <laughs> fair enough i know when i'm beat i'm just gonna lay down yeah, and yeah, take yeah, yeah. it
1: the army kind of takes it and then there's this ending scene where they're wheeling this crate into this ginormous warehouse filled with other
0: boxes and Bacas and bo- bacas. Bo- boxes and boxes and boxes and we and just bocas. have to assume
1: that it's more artifacts with the same amount of lore and potentially supernatural power infused therein and room for more movies.
0: At least two more good ones and one that we don't speak about.
1: Uh which one's that?
0: You know the one. I
1: don't know. I I actually don't think there is another one.
0: That's right. That's the correct answer. <laughs> I think that's a universally held belief.
1: That there isn't another <clears throat> movie. Yeah, they made
0: three. <laughs> they made three.
1: Um, so for the rest of this episode, we're gonna talk about what the filmmakers are trying to say. We might also talk about some of the implicit themes.
0: Stuff that comes through even if they weren't trying to have it come through per se.
1: Exactly. And then we'll land the plane talking about how would a Christian worldview respond to all the other stuff that we already said. So, Casey, what is Indiana Jones... Sammy colon, dot, 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark.
0: I actually think it really is just Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't think, I think they added the Indiana Jones after. Whatever, whatever, whatever. whatever. What's it trying to say? Those themes are there and we know that they're there. They are. I just wanted to open up our, like, what are the filmmakers trying to say with a film review from a guy named Bruce McCabe. Okay. I think this is an early review, like, right after the film came out. I'm not sure. I actually couldn't verify it. Great. Oh, Bruce writes this. Raiders is an assured, relaxed, impressive work. It's almost impossible to resist. It's no more substantial than cotton candy, (laughs) but it's easily the best piece of entertainment Hollywood has produced in 1981. Wow. I think that sums it up. I think to the extent there are things that, like, the filmmakers are like, this is not like Schindler's List okay yeah 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 (laughs) Spielberg did some deeper works than Indiana Jones but I pulled out two and I so I want to hear what you think about these and just keeping in mind I guess to say that this movie's status as a cultural icon I think is what makes it the most interesting yeah right and the way that it just changed the game of filmmaking and conveys like to quote Professor Jones himself it belongs in a museum Mm -hmm. you know like it is an artifact of Hollywood culture at its best yeah Just wait, Um, Dr.
1: Jones. Maybe in a thousand years, even you will be worth something. uh
0: (laughs) So, but all that to say, I pulled out two main themes that I'd love to pick your brain on and see if they resonate with you. The first one is don't mess with the supernatural. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Right? And the second one is how far are you willing to go to get the treasure?
1: Mm, Good. I love it. Let's talk about it.
0: Yeah, so the first one, don't mess with the supernatural. To this movie's credit, the way they build the supernatural is a masterclass in creating mood. I don't know if it's because all the effects are practical, mm. but even the things that like look old, like the sky behind them, for example, as they're digging open the chamber where the ark actually rests all through the night, totally that was staged. <laughs> but something about it just conveys like a spookiness. It actually pops through the screen, and I got scared and chills. Like watching it. Yeah.
1: Well, you really get the feeling that they are messing with some like ancient powers that have caused destruction. Indy keeps getting warned by people along the way, like, be careful because, um, you know, maybe the Ark is meant to lay where it rests. Or even Belloc has this weird, like, spiritual connection with the Ark. And he's the one who puts on, like, the Hebrew priestly garments and does some sort of, like, ceremony where he, like, speaks the incantation or whatever. I'm like, I don't remember this being in the Old Testament, but... They kind of are hinting at, like, Indy is a lot like Han Solo in that he is, he rolls his eyes at, this is just a bunch of superstitious hogwash. But it turns out at the very end, even though he's the most knowledgeable about it, he's like, haven't you ever been to Sunday school? But in the very last moment, he's like, nope, this is actually real. And then when they're walking down the steps in the very last scene, he's like, they just don't understand what they've got here. And he's worried because the government's treating it like it's a science project. And he's like, this is beyond us.
0: Right. Which essentially, is what the Nazis were doing. They wanted to harness the power to do terrible things.
1: Power crazed. Well, Hitler was obsessed with the occult.
0: I actually didn't do the historical research on this, but one interesting question I had is like, how true is that? I
1: know he did have some interest in like harnessing, or maybe I just learned that from Indiana Jones. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Or maybe you learned it from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Red Skull. Red 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 Skull Skull Skull.
1: definitely had some interest, and he would have wanted to get his hands on the... On the arc. He
0: well, he was a real Nazi general. <laughs> the red skull. I was even gonna say Sala warns him in his very like congenial John Reese Davies way. He's like if, it, if the arc is at Tannis, covered by the sands, then it was something that man was not meant to disturb. Death has always surrounded it. It's not of this earth. Everyone's warning Indy. And it seems like, Carlin, he doesn't really get it until, like, the very last minute. Yeah. Do you think that's right? Like, is there another turning point for him that I'm missing? Or is it literally, as they're tied to the stake, and he goes, oh my god! And he already sees the ghosts coming
1: out of it. The Hebrew ghosts. I don't know if they're very Hebrew, but they are. They are spooky. Um, (laughs) There is a moment where he pulls his uh, bazooka and he's aiming at them. And Bella calls his bluff. And he's like, okay, go ahead. Shoot the ark. But that's more about his love for archaeology. And he's like, this is a piece of history. I actually have so much reverence for history. And and the fact that I'm just passing through, but history is like here to stay. um, That prevents him from just taking the, blowing it up and saving Marion. But no, I think you're right. I think it is at the last minute when he goes, this is,
0: we ought not. And that's a theme that stays with Indiana Jones, the character, through the rest of the movies. Yes. Right? Like yes. like he actually he's like a wisecracking, street smart, like classic American cool guy yeah. treasure hunter who actually kind of develops a a, a healthy caution around the occult and actually the other movies play with that character development with him as well well well, is that right
1: important to point out that the sequel is actually a prequel the temple of doom
0: the temple of doom is a prequel prequel
1: to this movie it happens before no and he if you watch that movie wait i didn't know this he is like obnoxiously cynical And he's actually a womanizer. He's a lot more like James Bond in that one. In fact, there's a scene where he's wearing a white suit with a red flower in his lapel, identical the scene from James Bond, and I forget whichever movie it is.
0: This is trivia that I didn't know. So, could you just real quick, like, how do you know it's a prequel? Does the movie like explain that for us, or is this something you've read like in a fandom kind of theory?
1: So I can't actually find how we know that it's a prequel, but the internet will tell you if you Google it. Um, and the reason why is because Steven Spielberg just didn't want Nazis to be the bad guys again.
0: And if it was a sequel, then it would have to be Nazis because it would just land it right in the middle of World War II.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. So in this movie, Indiana Jones is like really harsh. And he's really, his main goal is fame and fortune. He's trying to s- get artifacts for his own personal fulfillment. And and later in actually the third one, we have a flash back to when he was a boy scout and how this guy who basically had the indiana jones persona with the hat and the scruffy beard like steals the cross de la cortez or whatever from him and kind of teaches him a hard lesson that if you are a do-gooder you're gonna lose out and so that kind of heart he's hardened towards it and then in each progressive movie he gets actually a little bit softer and softer and a little bit more compassionate and and more moral because in this one He doesn't really believe in the supernatural necessarily, but he's like the Ark should be in a museum, whatever. If that's like the highest good, (laughs) I don't. I don't think we would say that
0: anymore. (laughs) I don't actually know. Does he say this belongs in a museum, or is that in one of the second? I think that might be in one of the other movies.
1: Well, no, he says it in this one, and then he. I think he says it about the idol as well. I mean, the whole like the the way to have a happy ending for him is if he can get the piece in a museum, totally, because that promotes learning and you know wonder and amazement and love of. History,
0: I have a question about that later yeah. that we can get into, but anyway, so you mean to say that before this happens, he literally had had his heart ripped out in the temple of doom, yeah, and put back in, and he comes back to life and yes. And that's how Indiana Jones arrived on the scene here for this one.
1: Casey, it's not the years, it's the
0: mileage, boy, he's taking <laughs> he's taking some. He's taking some hits. Yeah, he has.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and actually, I have something I want to say on this, but it kind of fits into the next point a little bit better.
0: So I'll just say they resolve, in my mind, the question of, like, don't mess with the supernatural through a couple major ways. One is what I've heard referred to as face meltapalooza.
1: Oh, good.
0: <laughs> you know, everyone who messes with the supernaturals, you know, face eventually melts at the... At at the ending where you're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh. And it's like, They oh! get the most like contorted facial expression
1: possible. They freeze frame <laughs> that.
0: Honestly, it's terrible. It's like so over the yeah. top.
1: So you're going to get pulverized yeah. if you mess with the supernatural because it's just going to uh, obliterate
0: you. And also, so like only Indiana Jones and Marion are saved. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting, even their ropes are cut. They, j- yeah. they had the arc sort of cut their ropes like, yeah, you guys are all you guys are all right. You know you, ate. you all right. <laughs> Pretty straightforward resolution to that one. Here's the second question: How far are you willing to go to get the treasure? Yeah, I think that's Indiana Jones' main character arc.
1: It, you're saying they're asking how far are you willing to go?
0: I think they're asking how far is Indiana Jones willing to go to get the treasure?
1: I've heard major criticism that Indiana Jones doesn't even affect the plot of the movie.
0: Oh my gosh. I've literally never heard that criticism of the think movie. Think about it.
1: Yeah, think about it. Well, think about it. The Nazis get the here's, and I'm I'm not I don't believe this. Let me just walk you through. He
0: finds the ark, and the Nazis don't, so he gives them the ark. Yeah, that's
1: true, but like they're pretty close. They're closer than anybody's ever like been. Like a hundred
0: yards away, close.
1: They've got the staff. They've got the stick. They've got the map room. They're pretty close. They are within sight. Like it, It's only a matter of time before they... So so let's say the Nazis find the uh, Ark without him. Then what? They take it to this island. Uh, they check to see if it's in there. And they get blown to smithereens.
0: All right. <laughs> all right. That, hey, that's interesting.
1: <laughs> okay. That's now, interesting. That's the theory. That's the theory. But I've heard some really good rebuttals of this that... The most compelling one to me, I mean, there's a whole bunch of instances where like, yeah, like Indiana Jones actually did affect the plot, but it sounds as if you're complaining that Indiana Jones didn't get the treasure. But let me just read you this quote from a YouTube channel called Star Wars Explained. Pretty sure Steven Spielberg and George Lucas didn't sit down to write a movie about gaining treasure. It's about how valuing treasure above all else leads to ruin. The plot, it, it's full of MacGuffins. It's not really about the Ark of the Covenant. Right. It never has been. It's about the, the journey that Indiana Jones goes
0: on. And the friends he makes along the way. Exactly. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. I, I heard in an interview Steven Spielberg himself call the Ark a MacGuffin. He says, it's just a wonderful MacGuffin that George Lucas came up with.
1: And then if you want to trace us through all the uh, sequel prequels, Jones never gets the prize. Like, let me take you back to that scene when Belloc grabs the idol and he's like, once again, Mr. Jones, uh, there's nothing you have that I can't take away. Every time Indiana Jones has an artifact in his hands, he always loses right. it. It's part of his character.
0: They leave the, uh, they leave the Holy Grail. In the cave as it collapsed his
1: bad bad girlfriend is kind of reflecting who he was at an earlier time like in the temple of doom hell-bent basically on getting the artifact for the fame and glory of it all and she loses her life because she's unwilling to let go of the grail whereas in this movie we were joking about it earlier but when his pal is like throw me the thing so i can and i'll help you up and Jones has a moment where he's like, trust him or don't trust him. And he goes, you know what? It's more important my life to escape and to just trust this guy than to hold on to this artifact with all my life. He makes the wrong choice, unfortunately, but that's already displaying a little bit of character development from the last movie.
0: Yes, that is so good, Carlin. And listen, even with that poor guy who, again, just it's just a horrific grisly practical effects ending for him. It's so shocking. It's foreshadowing what's going to happen to the Nazis, essentially. Yeah. They think they won because they got the treasure ahead of Jones, but yeah, they get their horrific comeuppance at the end. Now,
1: here's a question for you. Tying this back to the supernatural, do you think the supernatural has anything to do with the bad guys getting their their just reward? Or is it just that's how it goes because they the bad guys? Just
0: explain more what you mean with that question.
1: Well, I guess... I guess the supernatural in the world of Spielberg and Lucas is kind of just to say, like, the world is full of wonder. You know, like, you can fly with your alien buddy E.T. And
0: have your face melted by the wonderful (laughs) contents of the (laughs) art. I
1: guess what I'm saying is that the supernatural is just that. Like, it's just the magic of the world. But it's not, like, a personal force with a will That's imposing its will against evil. Or maybe it is. Maybe the force of magic in the world is a force of good. And what it does is it revisits the iniquity of the bad guys on them. Because if you're bad, you get your just desserts.
0: Yeah, but I think that just kind of happens because it's awesome that way. This is what's got to happen to bad guys. Right. I don't think they are trying to say anything really about like the nature of the supernatural other than just don't mess with it. Don't mess, you know, like bigger than you. Yeah. This movie, again, going back to that review, it's both self-assured and like Uh an inch deep when it comes to like the spirituality (laughs) of Indiana Jones is like an inch deep. It doesn't matter. It's like he is an expert in like the archaeology of the kind of occult. And that exists just to give us spooky vibes. I literally think that's it. But I do think that, and this maybe will tie into implicit themes, right, but there's a self-assuredness there that audiences in 1981 probably just definitely believed, which is like, of course God's on the side of Indiana Jones. Like, as long as he doesn't do something egregious or stupid like the Nazis, right. like, like they're <laughs> desecrating the Ark, like Belloc, this French dude literally dresses up like a rabbi and opens the Ark and picks the dust of it out and is like spilling it in his hands and like, and everyone else yeah. there's like a literal Nazi, you know, <laughs> (laughs) So as long as you're not like doing that kind of stuff, like you're fine, like like the arc isn't gonna blow you up, maybe, unless you look at it. Right. You know, just like, don't look, Marion, don't look. You know.
1: In my mind, it has less to do with that Indiana Jones isn't that bad, and more with the fact that he has this humility and reverence.
0: That's it. He's cocky, he's self-assured, but at the end of the day, Indiana Jones actually does have a reverence for both history and the supernatural. And I think if anything, that's what the movie's trying to say. That's why we're rooting for him.
1: Yeah, and because he focuses on what's more important, saving Marion.
0: But like you said, Belloc calls his bluff. He's like, all I want is the girl. And Belloc's like, no, you don't. You want to see us open this sweet arc. Although maybe Marion would agree. And Indiana Jones is like, <laughs> shoot, you're right. <laughs> You <laughs> have have the bazooka tie us up and we'll yeah. just watch this go down. Like I think that's what essentially what happens. So
1: maybe he knew. Maybe he knew in that moment what was going to happen.
0: I don't think so. Here's here's what I will say. They do a great job with this movie cuz it is very I know this is a weird thing to say. <laughs> But it's believable. They sell us on it, like, expertly, in that Indiana Jones literally probably at the last minute says, don't look as he realizes in the last five minutes of the movie what's about to be unleashed. And that's kind of his character arc, such as it is, in Raiders. But yeah, I do think that is what they're going for, is like, okay, and there's the line. Like, break into the temple if you got to, replace the head with the sand if you need to, mess with it a little bit for the sake of, like, knowledge, but kind of mostly adventure. This is what I was going to say. Jones, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's like interested in Marion for sure, but his first love is archaeology. And he yeah. cares about the museum for sure, but his love yeah. more than that is archaeology as a means of adventure. He digs the digs. He digs the digs. And then at the last minute, he's like, and okay, and now we're done. Like, okay, there he is a limit. He knows when to call it a day. And the Nazis don't.
1: They blow right past that line, and then they get their faces melted off.
0: Serves them right, Nazis.
1: Do you want to say a few words about like the implicit stuff going on in this movie? Because I'm sure there's just a lot of it. Okay, one thing that kind of stood out to me uh i think our sensibilities have evolved a lot since the 80s yeah and there's a bunch of things that are that feel problematic and they're hard to watch like the way they kind of exploit local people groups totally the way that they're kind of just nameless tribes like oh yeah some people in south america it doesn't (laughs) don't worry about it don't worry about it And they've got this sacred idol that they're protecting, but, like, it belongs in a museum. Why? Um, Like, even the Ark of the Covenant, if it went anywhere, shouldn't it go to Israel? Like, shouldn't that belong to the Jewish people? Now,
0: technically, in 1936, Israel did not exist as a nation state.
1: Okay, yeah, Hmm. Touché.
0: But no, what you're saying is completely right. The Jews
1: could have leveraged the power of the Ark of the Covenant to prevent the Holocaust from happening.
0: That's some deep fan fiction material right there. Write it. Let's write it. Let's not. But (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea. Yeah, I was going to say this movie implicitly presents a a version of how Americans see the world. Uh And we can both cringe and understand, like, why that was. And a little bit of how the world sees Americans. They're, like, kind of tied in together.
1: Yeah. Well, Indiana Jones is, like, the ultimate American. He's, like, wry, clever, kind of suave, but not like James Bond, really. He's much more, um, I don't know, rugged, gritty, sarcastic. Like, James Bond has some humor, but not like Indiana Jones.
0: Oh, man. And I love it. Like, I actually... That's culture right there. Like culture is caught more than it's taught. You see something like monkey see, monkey do. Like mm. we all want to be Indiana Jones to some extent or Marion with her. Like,
1: yeah, she's like, she beats that guy in the drinking contest. You're like, this woman is fierce.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And her, her, dive bar in Nepal is pretty dope. So here's the deal, Carlin, I'm with you. There's a lot that's problematic. I mean like in 1981 the assumption basically was like no one in Egypt's going to watch this movie. Yeah. You know, no no one in Peru's going to watch this movie. I think we can definitively say way more people in Egypt and Peru will have watched this movie and everything that's coming out now. Hmm. Forty years later, the world is like dramatically different than it was. Yeah, I don't want to gloss over that. <laughs> I mean, it it is funny. Like, I have friends from Egypt and Peru, but I think that just was way less common in the '80s. And so, the assumptions that go into filmmaking change as the global village becomes smaller, and we're aware that, like, oh, okay, like people from Peru are going to watch this. What are they going to think of uh, right. the stereotypes we're going to do of their country, or you know what I mean? And like, yeah, so. I think it's okay to let raiders be kind of a cultural artifact in that sense and mm-hmm. not take it too seriously. Like to the extent harm has been done, I think we do need to have conversations. But I also think we need to remember the assumptions of what the world was like first. So we can just accurately, mm-hmm. like we could just have an accurate depiction of, of what that was like. And we can kind of cringe together Hopefully, prayerfully, yeah. with our Egyptian or Peruvian friends, and be like, yeah, mm, sorry about that.
1: And because of the way World War II turned out, I think Americans kind of viewed themselves as like, we're gonna come in and put a stop to this war. We're gonna kind of save the day. We're totally, heroes saving the day. Um, we're we're putting our foot down on the Nazi regime to the extent that we're we're friendly with all these other countries we're like the the big brother that's coming to totally. help.
0: Totally. We're more friendly. We're more like on the level with people. And the world is friendly to us, by and large.
1: Marion says as they're dragging her in a basket, she's like, you can't do this to me. I'm an
0: American. I know. I know. It's hilarious. And I, I would say that in the 1980s, there are grievous exceptions to this that we need to take seriously. But that perception actually wasn't totally removed from reality. You know, the Cold War was in full swing. And so... I don't know. There actually, they're, there was a strong perception in the world that America is standing for freedom, maybe against the, the might of the USSR. All, th- all that to say, I just think it's like okay to appreciate the spirit of the film for what it was, you know, like a cultural artifact of the 80s.
1: And that's okay. Like you can love America and also take a hard stand on the things that are not admirable in our history. That's actually the more patriotic thing to do. Hey, let's. Do you want to talk about our third category? I would
0: love to, Carlin. I would love to. What's our Christian worldview gonna comment on the the themes that Raiders of the Lost Ark is trying to <laughs> present to us? First thing, I think probably we should do Carlin is comment on the movie's treatment of the actual arc <laughs> of the Covenant. Yeah. I think huh. we just need to footnote it because this has been like so Hollywoodized. You know what I mean? Like screaming mm-hmm. angels. Are gonna come ripping that's out of the ark in the, and melt your face. Lightning's gonna strike everyone. If you are a Nazi, the Bible does talk about the Ark of the Covenant, and I think it does say it's a symbol of God's power. But I think where we would probably diverge from Raiders of the Lost Ark is that the Ark itself is not a like totem of occult power. You know, God's pretty clear that, like, you, he's not a genie in a lamp. Like, you don't get to ask your three wishes. There's not rules that you play with and manipulate the God of the cosmos to, like, do your jam, you know, for you. Like, it's not that anyone who looks at the ark gets evaporated. You know what I mean? It's, it's actually that it's meant to represent the covenant that the living God made with Israel. And so yeah, in scripture God takes the ark pretty seriously and there are there are stories of people not taking it seriously enough. But the point actually isn't about the ark. The point is about God. Are you taking God seriously? Like like the actual God of creation seriously enough? So like one example that I can think of is the Israelites actually did take the ark into battle mm-hmm. with them. In the book of 1 Samuel the Israelites actually say, "You know what? We're getting our butts kicked by the Philistines. Remember the ark?" Let's grab that thing and take it with us, and then we'll win and they'll lose. And what happens is the Israelites get their butts kicked.
1: (laughs) Because it's not a luck charm, and it's not a genie in a bottle.
0: Right, it's not your rabbit's foot. Like, sorry guys, the point is about God, not the ark, right?
1: Yeah, and being obedient when he's asked you to do something or not do something. Are are you listening to him and and obeying him?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that is the message of scripture for us in the contemporary day and age. I mean, the Bible is pretty clear. Like Israel, God was doing something very unique and very special with Israel there. He literally was like, I'm going to craft a people group kind of out of nothing. Bring them out of slavery in Egypt. Make this covenant with them. Like set the tone for what I'm going to do ultimately in history through Jesus coming, like the Son of God who fulfills the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant and Moses' covenant. Anyway, there's all, there's all these like layers of symbolism to the Ark, but the point is, it's about God. It's not really about like the totem of the Ark itself. The thing that Raiders of the Lost Ark does for me is kind of rekindles a feeling of mystery in the world and like the possibility of adventure. It's fun because he's defying the odds at every turn. It's like, it's like just true adventure conjures up like kind of a world that is lost today. Like in the sense that the world was a lot larger in 1981 even, and it was a lot, lot larger in 1936. That's a compelling plot to a movie is like they really could experience cultures that they would have had no other way of experiencing. And really like theater goers had a chance to experience those cultures Whereas if they were to set Indiana Jones in the contemporary world, everything that can be discovered basically has been. In fact, our main worry is keeping tourists away from places so they don't like leave their trash there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, Nepal right? isn't as remote and distant as we think it is. There's millions of people who fly from all over the world to go visit. It's still a very remote place. But you know what I mean? Like The feeling of adventure that Indiana Jones taps into Is kind of a disappearing epoch in world history.
1: If you knew about the other countries in the world, it's because you were a Nat Geo subscriber and you'd like seen a picture of the lost civilization of the whatever.
0: (laughs) Right. And these days it's like we've all seen stuff, everything on the Internet. You know what I mean? You could buy a flight for not too outrageous. Like you could actually travel to all these places. So where's the right. where's the room for wonder in the world? Maybe I'll ask this just straight on. But like where's the room for adventure within a Christian world, do you?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. I love this because, oh man, I think Christianity exists in the popular mind as like this stuffy religion with like weird and church people and judgment and blah, blah, blah. But that is not at all the true experience of Christianity. Like God is a God of design, creation, order, adventure. He made like rugged mountains of Yosemite. He made like the, you know, the Grand Canyon and just think of any beautiful experience, beautiful aesthetic experience that you've ever tasted that came from the imagination of a designer god that made it for people to explore and to enjoy and to spend time in and he like the things that everything good in the world that you love or care about or have ever been moved by is a is just a reflection of a piece of his personality and you actually will get this sense from reading scripture but you have to do the legwork because scripture is um a it's It's God-breathed and God-inspired, but it's put into human language and human terms. And so we have to kind of struggle to understand um, the context and understanding of everything that's going on in it. But if you do the legwork, you'll find out that these themes are woven into the heart of God, that he calls us to a life that is um, risky and exciting and um, moving. And um, do you remember, I don't know if any of our listeners have read uh, A Severe Mercy. By Sheldon Van Auken. If you haven't, everyone put it on your book list. Just do it. You will love it. It's so beautiful. But that he talks about that in the opening chapter, how he experienced before he was ever a Christian, before the thought of God ever even was compelling to him. He experienced beauty as um, almost like a painful experience. Like there's this longing in him to experience the fullness of beauty. And I have totally... Had this experience before too. I don't know if you have too, but do you ever like have Mm. this sense for the world that like it's almost like you're sad for something or you miss something that you've never experienced before? You have nostalgia for something that's never quite been. Like you have this longing for the perfect that perfect sunset. Maybe you've never seen a perfect sunset, but you've seen some really beautiful ones. But there's like almost this agony like, oh, I, I'm made for this. I've, I'm made to experience something, but I don't know if I've ever had it in its full purest form. I think Christianity explains why that is. Because it's saying you were created to experience the highs of life that are just like so um, a- adventurous and, and um, exciting and moving.
0: And the lows as well, because there's no adventure without Mm. risk and there's no real adventure without sacrifice. It entails both of those things. But I think you're so right, Carlin. I think you're so right. And I think scripture is so filled with that theme that it it might not call it out uh, all the time because like adventure, quote unquote, for adventure's sake might not be the highest goal of scripture But in the pursuit of bigger, better things, adventure is woven into the system. Yeah. Like I think, and and that's just true of real life too. Like I think about, I was just thinking about Noah and the ark. Like what a wild story uh, that would be. There's a reason why scripture's stories have captivated people for thousands of years. One question I was going to ask then, Carlin, is how do you balance real adventure in the sense that we're talking about like a positive sense Versus yeah. just kind of selfishness or even like a voyeurism, like, like just doing adventurous things, even if they leave a trail of destruction in your way. Right. Like h- how are we supposed to balance those two goals?
1: Man, I would think it would, it's just zeroing in on the, what the, why, what is it that's worth pursuing? Um, and there are plenty of opportunities, uh, to pursue things. There's things around us all the time that are worth pursuing that we don't because there's a risk associated with it. Um, And it's just having a love. It's like you have to love the good things in the world enough to need to protect them when they're threatened or fight for them when they're um, being trampled on. And that's what calls us, you know, outside of the comfort zone and into the unknown is is actually just cultivating a love for the good things of, of the world and then being ready to answer the call when they're being threatened.
0: I think that's so good.
1: Do you think we you experience adventure um like in your day-to-day life as a Christian? I think I
0: absolutely do. Yeah. There are a lot of very small ways I think that plays out. Um I think one area is interpersonal relationships are risky and scary. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're like I want to be like yeah. Indiana Jones and <laughs> you know like punch nazis in the face but then actually when it comes time to i don't know go talk to our next door neighbor we're like uh never mind i I, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna stay inside that
1: doesn't really feel like well like when i you say adventure i don't think of that but it it kind of like like tell me about a time when you were afraid to do something and you stepped out into it, and then it actually became an adventure, but you didn't expect it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, as a little kid, new neighbors moved to our cul-de-sac, and my mom's like, "Go yeah. say hi to Nate them. and Grady." Yeah. Oh, we had so many kids in our cul-de-sac. Nate and Brady, <laughs> Clark and Grant, uh, and these kids ended up becoming our really good friends. But you know, especially as a little kid, it's like, "Go say hi," and you're like, "I, I don't want to. I really don't <laughs> want to," and. Here's what I was going to say on that, Carlin. I think we might be missing the why of other people, and that's why it doesn't feel like an adventure.
1: Oh, say more about that.
0: Well, you're saying adventure only comes when we're focused on the good things in life Mm -hmm. and when we want to fight for the good. Well, are we truly seeing the good in the people around us enough to take Mm. risks on their behalf?
1: Right. Or maybe we just shrug our shoulders and we like, that's not that interesting. It's not that important to me how someone else's life is going.
0: Yeah. But to be honest, at least for me, I can only speak for me beneath that layer of like, it's not that important is a layer of abject terror. Like, yeah. if I go visit the old lady who lives next door, she might <laughs> deprive me of the time I would rather spend doing other things, or she might be weird and un- like <laughs> our conversation, <laughs> like, I don't know how that's going to go. Like, You know what I mean? Like like there's there's fear.
1: I just thought of an example. One time I was on the campus of a church to do paint a mural. I was working, um, but it was at night and I was I had to walk like across the campus um, to find the bathroom. And I walked by this woman and she was sitting like on the ground. Her body just racked with sobs. She was sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And I was just like, she's sitting out there alone. I'm just on my way to the bathroom. Like I'm in the middle of this work. And I, but I felt this kind of call, like there's a woman in distress. You can't walk by unless you know what's gone on. Like you need to press in, uh, scary. Um, but I was like, you know what? No, she is in distress. Maybe I can help her. So I w- walked up and I was like, hey, how are you okay? And she uh, was not okay. She had just lost her son to a drug overdose oh, man. and she was um, just grieving and just needed. So I just sat with her and I just like rubbed her shoulder and 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 let her cry for a little bit. And I don't know if that was helpful for her or not, but it was like she needs human connection right now. Like you shouldn't when you're in the depths of despair, I would assume just knowing that somebody sees your suffering It can be a healing thing, and so I just sat with her for like fifteen very uncomfortable minutes. Wow. Um, but I just was like, you know what? This is way, this is more worth my time, even if even if I'm wrong. Maybe she wants to be alone right now. Um, Well, you could, and I think I you you can always. I I think I did. I think I was like, can I just sit with you first? I don't know what, but um, but really, I I walked away from that feeling like kind of brave and kind of bold. Like, okay,
0: totally. Or if. I mean, the number of times that we will actively need to confront someone who's hostile in our lives is very narrow, but I have a-
1: Depending on the life you live, but yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I have a good friend uh, named Will, and he, one time, I mean, he doesn't bring up this story a lot, but I do on his behalf, because I think he's just a boss. (laughs) Like, there's a guy, like, verbally abusing his girlfriend, uh, like, all up in her face outside of a CVS, and- uh, will's a wrestler he plays rugby he's a football coach <laughs> he just he's a tank he, yeah i call him will the tank but he is not like out of, an out of control guy he's a very like measured self-disciplined guy but he just was like okay i do need to at least ask about this so he just said hey is, mm. is everything okay here and the guy was like mind your own blankety blank business you know mm-hmm. and so will said sorry i was actually talking to her uh, is everything okay here? And <laughs> nice. the girl goes, "No, it's not. It's not okay."
1: Aww. And so
0: uh, the details are going to get foggy. But this dude, sh- like, lowers his shoulder and tries to tackle Will. He like, he, he's like, like I shows- said, mind. He's your-
1: initiated a physical yeah, altercation. Mind your blankety Ugh.
0: blank business. And he like. Either takes a swing or something at Will. He initiates the conflict, but Will just like kind of takes him down, <laughs> like wrestling style. You, the last him. time you said
1: this story, you said he dove, he did like a dive tackle and just took this guy down and then stood up, yeah. and brushed, his, brushed the dirt off his. Actually, swing. I think
0: Will kept this guy on the ground for a few minutes until the dude was like, "Okay, I'm cool. I'm cool.
1: <laughs> like I'm cool. I'm cool." <laughs>
0: All that to say, he wasn't
1: escalating. He really was just putting the kibosh on this. He was
0: de-escalating. Yeah. Anyway. If you're seeking out that kind of confrontation, then you're a jerk, and you don't understand the why behind things. Mm. But when you do get the why right, and then you're willing to put your fear aside for a second, that's when uh, we experience, I think, the right sense. Like that is an adventure in the right sense, risking something for the right cause. Yeah. And I can talk a big game about that stuff, but in real crisis moments, I always wonder, you know, how I'm going to do. Yeah. And that's why I think, just bringing it back to Indiana Jones, Carlin, that hunger that we're talking about is true on a couple of different levels. One, I just think it, it's, it's fun, and hmm. it's encouraging, and it's uh, energizing to realize like life is full of this variety of experiences. And movies like this kind of remind us of that.
1: Yeah, just like the glamour of the world, like how cool different cultures and places and textures and flavors like totally. that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, second of all, like as a role model, Indiana Jones consistently uh disregards his own safety.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's like an American. <laughs> yeah. Woo.
0: And like again, it's all about the why, but with a good enough why, there that's a very yeah. very admirable quality and that is so cool. That's why he's the hero idol of, you know, every kid, every young guy of the 80s wants to be Indiana Jones. Yeah. But I think what you were saying earlier lands when you're talking about like, isn't there a longing for more in life? Yeah. A movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the primary ways I feel that longing, actually.
1: Mm, It calls it out in you. Yeah,
0: totally. Not to be melodramatic, but yeah, when I watch this, I'm like, ah, like I'm nostalgic for something that you can never really fully grasp.
1: Yeah. It's like... Yeah, it's like nostalgic for something that you've never experienced before. You've you've heard about it, you've read about it, but maybe even beyond that. It's like something in you that is 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 meant to be like living for something more, you know? Yep,
0: absolutely. And the question then is what view of life and reality makes sense of that longing? Are are those feelings there but are they sort of baseless in the sense that nothing's ultimately in a cosmic spiritual sense purposeful Mm. because that's the answer that if there's no god we're committed to is like okay I feel this it's Mm. an evolutionary thing that's designed to help my tribe you can Uh still experience like proximate purpose like purpose from sort of immediate fulfillment of those desires or fighting for something or you know just like this kind of immediate sense but there's but there's nothing ultimately purposeful. But in a Christian worldview, everything we do matters. Every single thing we do is woven, it's shot through with purpose.
1: Why? Why is that?
0: Because God is watching everything and he cares. He's not just observing, he cares. He's got a dog in the fight. We mm. we are in a cosmic struggle of good versus evil. Mm. And the smallest actions we take are either, I really believe in a binary like this. I think so, the things that we think are neutral are actually good. God says, when mm. he made creation, he looked back and he said, it is good. So, and mm. I'm like, what? I just made myself a sandwich. It's like, no, you've actually done something <laughs> yeah. good. You've created as your creator has made you, as, as yeah. God made you, you have made a sandwich. <laughs>
1: right but what you're saying is that's not just neutral there's not like good things neutral things and bad things it's like just the beauty of life the simplicity even just like having a vegetable garden or seeing a butterfly float past your window god dignifies those things and calls them good yes
0: and then there are those moral categories that we're all keenly aware of and we associate most commonly with religion and those categories are meaningful. They're not an accident of evolution. There really mm. is a cosmic struggle going on between goodness and evil. Hmm. And that alone is enough to give mundane things like going to talk to the neighbor lady purpose. Yeah. Things matter, period. Because you
1: made her day brighter. Yes.
0: And she's an immortal being. She'll, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. She's an immortal soul created in the image of God. Like she matters. Yeah.
1: I get this sense a lot when I'm talking to kids. You know how in a, a kid's world is very is like just really small. Like they don't understand about taxes and voting and having a job and you know they all they know is like I'm. Uh I have to eat these Cheerios before I can have a piece of chocolate. Like their world is just tiny, yeah. but their their distress and the things that matter to them matter so oh, yeah. much. yeah. The
0: stakes are high and with those Cheerios.
1: You can just get right in their little world when you're talking to them and be like this actually there's dignity to children. Even though their world is small and they they throw a tantrum about something that's really not that important. It's not at the end of the world. But um, but really, their little world is meaningful, and jesus is is famous for dignifying children and respecting them, yeah. and saying they have a right to me just as much as the teachers of the law
0: he de- He goes further, he says, unless your attitude is like that of a child, you can't enter the kingdom hm he doesn't mean being naive, yeah, but he does mean being willing to see life kind of through that simple lens of purpose and good and evil that we all sort of have as kids but then grow out of as we enter the world of taxes and business and crap
1: well we bury it with mundane and and justifications and reasonings and explanations and like kind of like adult stuff you know yeah When you know what when you feel really like there's a child wonderment that you that gets lost And it gets buried by just like, I don't know, the boring adult stuff in life.
0: Honestly, Carlin, just because looking in my heart, I I really feel like a lot of that stuff is just a self-protective measure. I just want to insulate myself from risk and fear and betrayal and and disappointment and loss. Yeah. Yeah. And so I make my world boring when in reality it's exciting. Yeah. And that's... If people don't understand Christianity, I just want them to understand that, that the heart of it is your creator coming to you and saying, you can recapture the innocence and the wonder of your childhood yeah. and take it with you forward. Cause that's what I designed you for. Yeah. Right. Enter the kingdom like a child. Trust God mm. in an era where suicide rates are higher than they've ever been. Mm. At least in Western developed countries, we mm. are starving for purpose. Yeah. And Indiana Jones totally did not mean to make a statement on cosmic purpose. (laughs) But I will say we both love it. And I'm guessing our our listeners love it as well because it reflects the cosmic purpose that whether we like it or not is woven into everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Um, What's the name of the director?
0: Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. You
1: ever heard of him? I was thinking George Lucas, and I didn't want to say that. No, it wasn't George Lucas.
0: indie guy. Anyway, sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Steven Spielberg, even though he wasn't saying that with this film, that is a hallmark of his artistic career is tapping into the childlike wonder and the call of adventure on your life. And he understands it well and he nails it. He knows how to create that feeling oh, for totally. you as an audience member. And that's what Indiana Jones is doing. And that's what it makes sense when you're a Christian that that is also... that that Why do we have that longing? Why does that activate yeah. us? Yeah. Because, because we're designed that way.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we could go down the whole rabbit hole of... Everything that that involves in our own hearts as it relates to the God of the universe. But I think that self-protection is why we don't come to him either. There's a quote by an author named David White. He says, the price of our vitality is the sum of all our fears. Mm -hmm. I quote, Mm. I I reference that quote ad nauseum. But the price (laughs) of our vitality, the thing that will give us life more often than not, is everything we're actually afraid of losing and being willing to risk it in the first place. And spiritually, I think that means exactly what you said, Carlin, coming to the God of the universe and sort of offering up our lives back to him. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark, who knew? Raiders of the Lost Ark! Who knew it had all these layers and complex themes and... (laughs) It's an allegory. I want to say that this has been a conversation (laughs) loosely inspired by Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: (laughs) Sponsored by... Sponsored by... Da, 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 thank you
0: go go forth uh, uh, just, just, have, have an adventure yeah live a little
1: Li- live a little go take a risk people but not just for the sake of taking a risk that's not what we're saying <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: it truly is a, a great film
0: face melting aside
1: face melting included <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll catch you next time on Cinema Snorkel.